This week on Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke. Guest Victoria Moran from River Bend Stroke Program at Peace Health Medical Center shares her story as a mother, daughter, and caregiver. She offers insight on the many ways love shows up throughout the recovery process. Thank you for joining us for part two, Victoria Moran's interview. Hello and welcome to Beyond Stillness. Stroke offers a powerful, life-changing shift in perspective. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teachings, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. This radio show, Beyond Stillness, offers an hour of pause for storytelling and reflection. Ultimately, Beyond Stillness is a welcoming environment that reveres the moment beyond strokes paralysis. Still moments unite humanity and divinity. I'm your host, Molly Today's Bucola. guest is Victoria Moran from Eugene, Oregon. She's an artist, mother, wife, daughter, and works at Peace Health Sacred Heart Medical Center at River Bend in Springfield, Oregon, for the River Bend Stroke Program. Her mother suffered a stroke in 2010, and since then, she's devoted her whole professional life to the stroke community. Victoria facilitates the River Bend Stroke Survivor and Caregiver Support Groups in the Eugene Springfield area. Today's theme is Love Has Many Faces, and oh, does it. You have chosen to devote your professional life to the stroke community after experiencing this with your mom. Yes. Um, And so when you started your talk, you talked about all these confusing things that were happening. Your talk described quite a few ways that confusion overpowered reality. And sometimes confusion feels like fog and other times like an ungrounded swirl or maybe both, who knows. Uh, And at what point in the first 24 hours did you feel like you started to get a foothold on what was actually going on? I don't even think I got a foothold in the first 24 hours. I was so so shocked when I saw mom um, for the first time at the hospital because physically she looked fine. It's when I walked into the room and she was hysterical and she couldn't communicate and she was saying potato. Um, It was really confusing for me. And I just froze. Like I said, I just froze there. I just watched what was going on. I'm the kind of person that walks into a room and assesses what's going on before I make any decisions. And I could not even assess what was going on. I just simply, like I said, walked over to her. So the first 24 hours, I was in complete shock. That shock didn't stop me from being gentle, being kind, but it did stop me from understanding how to care for mom. 
Hmm. And so I realized I'm going to have to get over this shock and really move forward. And I think that's why I was so frustrated with the doctor because I wasn't getting information. I was just getting thrown more stuff to shock me. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the first 24 hours were rough. I think I was in shock for probably three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And how does that inform your your work with the stroke warrior uh, community, the families and, and the stroke warriors themselves? Yeah, I think I can empathize um, and I can appreciate when folks say I'm shocked and it's been two months, of course they're shocked. And oh, it's been two months. Sure. Um, grief and coming to the conclusion that your loved one has really suffered something that you can, may not be able to help them with is shocking. And I can just be there for them and go, yeah, yeah, it's shocking. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. And typically my first response when folks contact me, be it a stroke survivor or a caregiver, the first thing I say is, I'm sorry you're going through this Mm. because it is something they have to go through and walk through. And a lot of it is on your own just because everyone's at different stages. Mm. What do you feel like, uh, what do you wish that someone would have said to you in that first, let's say, week, someone who had gone through it before? I wish someone had been there and said, you are stronger than you think. Mm -hmm. Your mom is stronger than she thinks. And your family, you're going to be fine. You're going to get through this. I wish there had been someone just to give me, you know, just this reassurance that everything's going to be all right. I was saying it, but I wasn't believing it. Hmm. So hearing someone else say it would have helped you believe it? I think so. Because because at the time, I had no idea what a stroke was. I knew it was a brain attack. I knew it was bad. But I really thought it was for someone old, really old, like in their 80s and 90s. I didn't realize my mom was 62 at the time when she had her stroke. Um, and I didn't know a 62 year old woman could have a stroke. I really didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't an advocate yet. I didn't know, um, all the things that I know now. Yeah. Yeah. I, my stroke, I was 21 and it took them a while to figure out it was a stroke because they were thinking the same thing. You know, I think that we have a lot of preconceived, notions about what a stroke is and who it happens to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking uh, about your work today and how, um, how you connect with people in the hospital. Can you tell me about a person that you met when you were in the hospital or maybe throughout the, the PT or OT process with whom your mom connected or you connected or someone that sticks in your mind as an inspiration? Well, here's the sad reality. In 2010, in Medford, Oregon, there were zero resources. So mom um, didn't receive any of the resources that she would receive today. Um, I know now they're a primary um, stroke center 
where I work, it's a comprehensive. So it's better care today, years later. So mom did not receive OT or PT or any kind of therapies. I brought her home to her small town of Sutherland, zero resources. And so I thought, well, Victoria, you're college educated. You better think of a plan. You've raised a kid. You've put her through school. You know, you know, you know, some things that make, um, make the brain better. And my husband actually works for a company that makes the equipment for brain research. So I, yeah, yeah. So I, and he's been there 30 years and I asked Mark, um, what's good for the brain? (laughs) You know, what's good for the brain? And he said, reading, reading is really good for the brain. And so I took mom to the library and uh, I figured out she was probably at a kindergarten level. She was mad at me for checking out kindergarten books. And I said, you'll get better and better. Don't worry about it. She said she was embarrassed. And I said, "Uh, you've got bigger fish to fry than." And I literally said that in the library. I said, you've got bigger fish to fry than to be embarrassed right now. And she was like shocked, but um, she appreciated it. And we just started getting her books and books and books. And I made her talk all the time. I would call her. I would tell my brother to call her. I would encourage family members to go visit her and just have her talk and work on that. And so we kind of like made shift this (laughs) therapy for her. And I'm not blaming anyone. I just don't think that the resources were in her town. I don't think that her you know, GP um, in the town really knew how to handle it either. I think he was just as shocked because I went to a couple of doctor's appointments with her to see him and he was struggling as well. Mm -hmm. But a lot's changed in these, you know, years, uh, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, one of you mentioned that you went to the doctor with your mom. My mom went to all my doctor's appointments with me and it was interesting to hear. Sometimes my sister would come too. it's a family party in the doctor's office. Um, but sometimes all three of us would hear something different. Absolutely. And so it was really important that we're all there to have different perspectives and to take notes Yes. Um, and then to go back and think, okay, is that, is that what we feel is best for us in this circumstance? And I say us, cause it was like a team effort. It was, um, you were there with your mom. Um, so important. Yes. And Ron went to several of her appointments. We all three went, um, again, because yeah, you're right. Everybody hears something different. And Ron and I were her main, her main caregiver. So yeah, we were highly involved. Mm. And you mentioned that when you said you have bigger fish to fry, embarrassment is a huge part of, of recovery. Um, And, and it's a, it's a mental and emotional struggle. And uh, did you talk more about embarrassment with your mom? Did you have further conversations? I sure did. And I actually had conversations separately with my daughter because my daughter's 15 and everything, you know, mom is embarrassing. Imagine stroke survivor grandma who can't speak <laughs> being embarrassing. And I just said, you know what? There's lots of people out there um, 
we're going through different things. We're going through this. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And showing someone love and compassion and being gentle is never embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I told my mom, getting better isn't embarrassing because at first she fought me to go to the Y but I knew she, he needed physical activity. I knew, I knew she needed to be around others. She needs social activity and I couldn't be the end all to all her activities. And so I knew that. And mom was social before I wanted to keep her social. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, everyone's going through something embarrassing. Everyone is, you just not, you just can't see it. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to have to get over yourself you know, this ego has to be put aside and you just have to get better. And I think because I wasn't embarrassed, she wasn't embarrassed because I wasn't embarrassed. My daughter wasn't embarrassed. Mm. And that was just, there was nothing to be embarrassed about. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's how we move forward that way is just saying, this is life. <laughs> yeah. Did, did she ever express that? Did she ever express anything like that to you? Well, sometimes she would try to communicate. I remember I took her into a shop one day and she was trying to communicate with um, the cashier. And I went over to communicate for mom and help be her advocate. And the cashier shoved me aside basically and said, um, I got this. I can understand her good enough. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. And I walked away. Well, it took 45 minutes to get mom's point across. And then the cashier was like, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been <laughs> thinking I could take take this on. And so a lot of times mom would be like, with that, you know, would say something to the effect of that would have been quicker if you had done it. Hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, but you did it. So, you know, what's what's 45 minutes? Um so we just really worked on her communicating and it, it helped. It really did help. She did improve. I love that. I love it. And, and it's hard to know when, uh, when to help and when to, to let the stroke warriors try to work through it, you know, yes. try to work through the conversation because if you ultimately get it awesome, it's, it's, you know, it's a win. Um, and then sometimes it just gets so frustrating that it, 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 um, it's just too hard and it, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. you noted that immediately after the stroke, I'm shifting gears here. Your mom was physically, mentally, and emotionally broken. Uh, I got choked up, um, at that point. Can you tell, can you tell us how that evolved as she found her new normal? Sure. Well, the one thing about mom was she was never physically <laughs> broken in any way. No physical disabilities. Um, by looking at her, you couldn't tell she had a stroke and she was strong. She could pick me up and throw me across the room kind of thing. She's a big woman, very strong. Physically, she was fine. It was her speech and it was her... Um, she was emotionally more charged. She would cry every day. And sometimes she would call me at work and I worked full time at the university of Oregon. And I remember this one time she called me crying and she was upset about something. I was about to go into a big meeting 
And I said, okay, um, I want you to go pop your popcorn and go get your Star Trek and put that on. And when Star Trek's over, it'll be my lunchtime and we can talk, but I can't talk right now. And again, you know, she was an, over an hour away from me and someone was standing in my door to my office and I hung up the phone. I looked over and they said, oh, is your daughter having a rough day? I said, no, my daughter's 16. I go, that was my mama. <laughs> and they were like, wow, like you got a lot on your plate. I'm like, yeah. And they said, sounds like she's upset. And I said, yeah, I'll, I can deal with it later. But I always had this way of kind of like setting up for her to kind of take on some of her own um, emotional responses. Sometimes I couldn't handle it for her. So sometimes it was just about giving her space. And usually I remember that phone call later. She was just upset about something. She had messed up on her checkbook and she was upset at herself. And I remember telling her, I I can fix that. So a lot of times I just handle things just really in a pragmatic way, which helped me stay focused on all the things I had to do. Mm -hmm. And when you say you sometimes gave her space, what did that look like from her point of view? Doing something for herself taking care of herself. Um, Yeah. And she could do it. I was like, yeah, you can do that. You can take Mm -hmm. care of yourself. You might, you may not be able to balance your checkbook, but you can pop some popcorn, (laughs) you know? Yeah. 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 Give little wins, little things that we can do. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And then shifting humor. Thank you for noting the moments of humor. Um, A lot of times things get embarrassing and heavy and frustrating. And there's a, there's a fine line with humor. Emotions are high and we all have a different relationship with stroke. Um, We have a different viewpoint, but you and your family were able to find connection through humor. Can you speak on that piece for us? Sure. Well, I think everyone in my family has a really good sense of humor. We're not the kind of people, if we see somebody fall down, to laugh at them. Like, that's not funny to us. But somebody maybe dropping a meatball down the front of their shirt, you know, at a fancy restaurant, that might be hilarious, you know, and I'm probably going to be the person that does that. Um, So for the humor, it was more about things are sad, but here's some moments, some gemstones that we can laugh about Um, and things are funny. Life is funny. Life can be sad and funny at the same time. Life can be frustrating and confusing and awesome all at the same time. So I think that's what we kind of um, took, took from um, being with mom. And, you know, I'm really thankful that Mark and Monet hung out with us so much I mean, getting a 15, 16, 17 year old to hang out with you anyway is tough. So I have really beautiful memories of me and mom and Monet and Mark just being a family. And it was really beautiful. Mm. Thank you. I'm so sorry for the loss of your mom. Um, And I'm really thankful for the way that that you described um, that moment. My mom uh, calls the time after my grandpa's stroke and before his passing bonus time. She was his caregiver and was able to spend valuable, tough, but 
valuable time with him uh, the last years of his life. So tell me about how your intentional bonus time informs the way you remember your mom. You knew her for many years before the stroke, uh, but then you also had these intense years between the stroke and her passing. Yeah, the two and a half years that we had mom after her stroke um, really are kind of the cherished moments for me. Um, My mom and I were very different women. We saw the world in very different ways. And my life went in a very different direction than hers. Um, I decided to go to college. I've been married to only one man. I have one kid. These are things that really kind of um, mom found kind of boring. (laughs) And so um, there was some, some gaps in our relationship that was healed because of this, of these two and a half years, mom seemed to enjoy my company. I enjoyed mom's company. Mom had less, um, she was just really more present actually after her stroke she wanted to be doing the things that we were doing uh, and i have a pretty calm life and Mo- and Mon- and monet and i were talking the other day and grandma she said seemed to really enjoy the calmness of our life after her stroke and that was really good for her so i think these things these activities, this life that we lived in those two and a half years really healed um, some of our problems before her stroke. So, I mean, her stroke was terrible. I'm not saying it, yay, stroke. But I am saying is that we took it and God made it good. God said, this is really a bummer, but here, take it and make it good. And he did. Hmm. Looking back on your the first, you know, 24 hours, maybe even the first month uh, after your mom's stroke, and then seeing now, mm-hmm. uh, what do you wish you could have told yourself right at the beginning? You got this. I really was insecure the first. And I said I was a natural caregiver. I'm really a natural mom. I'm a really good mom. I'm not sure I'm a natural caregiver. I just didn't know the word to be like, I'm a really good mom. And so I really wish I would have told myself or I could have told myself, hey, you're a really good mom. You you got this. Like, you're going to be a really good caregiver. You're going to be a really good daughter. You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to get frustrated. But when you look back, you're going to be okay. Mm. Oh, thank you, Victoria. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for walking us down that path. Um, I know that, that on a daily basis, you work with, with families and with stroke warriors and um, to talk about your own journey is probably different than your daily life. So thanks for opening up to us and for taking the time to create the talk for us today. As we close, I offer gratitude. Gratitude for your words shared. 
I'm thankful for the ways that life brings us challenges, but also the strength and the courage and the patience and the humor that come into play as well. And this time, let's call to mind some person in our life that has been a grounded sense of inspiration, someone who's overcome great struggles and now serves as a beaming light. Today, we offer gratitude for the many faces of love. Thank you for devoting time and space to listen to part two, Victoria Moran's interview. For the full story, please listen to part one, Victoria Moran's story on Beyond Stillness, Stories After Stroke. Each colorful memory creates a parable for life's greater teaching, a compass for journeys ahead, and inspired wisdom for unique growth. In this episode of Beyond Stillness, guest Victoria Moran from Riverbend Stroke Program at Peace Health Medical Center shared her story as a mother, daughter, and caregiver. She offered insight on the many ways love shows up throughout the recovery process. If you enjoyed this moment of pause for storytelling and reflection, please like, share, or subscribe to Beyond Stillness Stories After Stroke podcast. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, as part of the stroke community, you are more than supportive. You are inspirational.